Good morning, good morning. It is a joy to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it is your first time with us at Big Woods or you have been here for the last thousand years, let me remind you that this is all about the Lord. Um, It is really not what we want. It is all about what he desires. Uh, Before we pray this morning, let me tell you that I am I am very, very encouraged. Um, I am very excited to see that when we pray, God blesses us with answers to our prayers, even when we are most undeserving of that. Almost a year ago, we as elders locked ourselves in a cabin in the woods, and we prayed for a very clear vision for the future of Big Woods. And Vision 2020 was birthed from that time. And since that time, we have made a commitment as a church to build relationships so that God is glorified and our community is transformed. Literally, our community is different through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are committed to fulfill that so that we may accomplish together our mission, which is to love God and to love other people. And so we have reiterated the importance of keeping the focus on people. That's building relationships, speaking the truth of the gospel, and that is making disciples. We're not focused on budgets. We're not focused on numbers and buildings. While those things are important, they are not and they will not be our primary focus. As we have seen God bless with more and more and more people, we know that there are necessary tools that are needed in order to assist us to accomplish the vision. One of those is more space to worship together, more classrooms, and more parking, as I'm sure you noticed this morning. Uh, We have put together a team of people to help, but most important, the most important thing that we have done is that we have continued to pray. We've prayed together on Sunday mornings. We've prayed together in weekly prayer times and home groups and discipleship relationships. We've prayed together as a body for the Lord to meet the need so that we can better accomplish what I strongly believe God has called us to do in this community. People in Lock Haven need, they need to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ that loves and forgives and redeems everyone. God is opening doors and we are moving through them as he leads. With that said, I do want to tell you that there is a building that God has led us to in the most wonderful of ways. In my zealousness, I spoke in haste last week. I have made a commitment to communicate and I would love to say more. But at this time, we want to be very, very careful to know for certain that this is the place that God has for us. There are a lot of details that must be worked out before we can officially give any more information as we want to do things right. We want to do things carefully. We want to do things wisely, as God's word says, decently and in order. So that above all else, God is glorified. Please understand this will take some time. We will keep you informed as we move forward. Until then, thank you for praying. Thank you for trusting. And if I may ask, please, please, 
please continue to be in prayer for this body. Exciting times lay ahead. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, once again, we are so grateful that we can come to you in, in all of your might and all of your power and all of your majesty. We can come, little us can come to you because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has made a way. Lord, he has allowed us to put our lives into his hands. He, his work on the cross has made a way for us to be in relationship with you, a holy God. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this body of believers. We thank you for every person that is here in, in your church this morning. God, I would ask that you would be glorified as we learn together, as we grow together, as we lift up our, our voices in praise to your great name. Father, I pray for this community. There are so many people, so many people that are caught in darkness, people that are struggling with hopelessness and depression, people who are struggling with drug use and abuse and alcoholism and families in conflict and divorce. Lord, there's young people that are searching for answers. Lord, I pray for this community. I pray, Lord, that we would love every person in this community, that we would, we would love them enough to, to come alongside of them, not point fingers and stare, but to come alongside and to offer the truth, the truth of the gospel, the good news of Christ spoken in love. I pray, Lord, for my brothers in this community that are preaching the gospel, other pastors, godly men, good men, encourage them, strengthen them to keep their eyes on you. And Father, we commit this time this morning together. I would pray, Lord, that you would guide my lips, my words, that they, they wouldn't be an individual man's words, that they would be your words. We ask all of these things in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I have a tremendous privilege on a regular basis to preach, to open up God's word and to preach to you the good news of Jesus Christ. But you understand, we've been involved in a series that's intense and we're learning that whenever there is the preaching of God's word, there is a sense of conviction, of heaviness. There's a responsibility that we know that we've got to change certain things in our lives. We've got to correct. We've got to alter our course. We've got to apply the truth of God's word. And that is, that is needed for all of us. It is, it is important for all of us. But if we're perfectly honest, it can be very, very exhausting. Because we're continually correcting. We're continually under a sense of conviction. And, and although it can be exhausting, it can also lead to a sense of frustration at times. Like, oh, Lord, I'm really trying. It's just, it's just hard. Frustration can set in and exhaustion can set in. And that can easily lead to exasperation. Exasperation says, you know what? I just give up. I'm done. I'm tired of this. Exasperation leads people to what? Just sit silently, to stagnate, to stop what they're doing entirely. We cannot, we cannot as a local church, we will not let that happen. So what I, what I want to do today, a little bit different, is 
I call it, I want to hit the pause button. You know what the pause button is? Just once in a while, you just got to stop. You just got to take a break. You have to do something. I believe that there needs to be a, a certain degree of spontaneity in our lives, just something completely unplanned. My mom, my mom and dad did this, I think, really, really well. They were very spontaneous as they led us as a family. I remember, I remember more than one occasion, and maybe I know we have a lot of educators in our church. You may not like this, but I remember on more than one occasion, dad and mom would just wake us up and they would say, hey, time out, no school today. You are not going anywhere. It'd be a beautiful day. It's not a snow day. Just no school. And we would together as a family, I remember we would take blankets, kind of a weird thing. We had an old pickup truck. And we would take blankets and we would, we would line the back of our pickup truck with like several blankets and we would, we would go in the back of the pickup truck and we'd lie in it and we would drive down to the beach just for the whole day together as a family. Just, just time out from everything. It was spontaneous. I believe that we need to have some spontaneity in our lives. Now we can't all pack up and go to the beach today. I'm sorry about that. We have to make sure that there's a degree of spontaneity. Why? So we don't get caught in what we call monotony. What is monotony? It's driving in a rut. Have you done that recently? Perhaps on some snowy roads, you kind of get caught in a rut. Not only are ruts not fun, ruts are actually dangerous. When you're in a rut, you can travel in the same direction without the ability to, to change course, to make adjustments. It is most important as we listen to the teaching and preaching of God's word that we make adjustments. There's a tremendous delight with the fact that not only does God's word convict us, but there's times like today, it just comforts us. Because it's a reminder, it's not about what we do, it's about what God has already done for us. And so today, through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, I trust that we experience not just a conviction, but a comfort. Why? Because we need that. I need that. I have to be perfectly honest. I had a really long week this week. And I, and I have heard already from several people that they too have had a really Long week. And what happens? I don't know about you, but I don't always respond the right way. I battle my flesh and I just get ugly. I get tired. I get frustrated. We share with you how it happened one time this week. Just one time. I was, I was due to have lunch with Christian. You'll meet Christian in just a moment. Thursday at 1230, I'll do lunch at Fox's once in a while. And so I arrived at, at Fox's at 1230 and I noticed Christian was not there. And so I poured a cup of coffee and waited and it was 1235. Christian was still not there. I'm getting a little bit frustrated. By 1240, I had a second cup of coffee. Christian's still not there. I'm thinking to myself, his name is Christian. Doesn't that mean he's supposed to be doing the right thing? He arrives on time. I'm here. 12.45, three cups of coffee. I'm not real happy. I call the office. I check with Sue Omer, our office manager, and said, do you know how I can get in touch with Christian? Where is Christian? And she said, why? And I said, well, I'm supposed to have lunch with him at 12.30. And she says, well, on your calendar, it says Friday at 12.30. You're to have lunch with Christian. Oh, I am just, I just, I just so desperately need help every day. I was reading, and it was actually, 
was reading the Bible, left it on the coffee table, and I did notice it the first time. I went back a second time, and the Bible was opened to Psalm, and it said this in Psalm chapter 121, verse 2. This is in the midst of this week. It says this very simple, very clear statement. My help comes from the Lord's who made heaven and earth. And I was so encouraged by that. I thought, well, wait a minute, does my help come from my wife? Yeah, she helps me every single day. It's, she helps a lot. And I thought, no, actually, the Lord is the one who gave me, who blessed me. I could never land a gal like that on my own. I thought about it. Doesn't, doesn't my help come from the elders? And I thought, you know what? God was the one who blessed me to be surrounded by the elders of this church that we have. I thought, well, maybe it's other men, other men who have committed to be alongside of me, to pray for me every day, to hold me accountable. Isn't it, isn't it those guys who helped me? And I thought, no, that's, that's the Lord who did that. The Lord placed good, godly men around me to protect me from myself. The Lord did all of those things. He made heaven and earth. I don't care what Bill Nye, the science guy with his bow tie says. <laughs> if God made heaven and earth, then he can help tiny old me with my problems. He can take far better care of me than I could ever take care of myself. And it is for that reason we hit the pause button and we say God is to be praised. God is to be praised. You see, the uniqueness of God's word, what I love so much, is that it takes the focus off of ourselves, very unlike the world. The world says it's all about you. No, God's word says it's not about you. God's word takes the focus off of ourselves, and it puts it on the Lord's. We're actually able to continue on every single day, not because of our own strength, not because of our abilities, not because of, of our of our efforts, but because of His strength, because of His abilities, because of His might. The delightful truth of authentic biblical Christianity rests upon the fact that there is nothing, nothing that you or I can do to earn salvation, to win forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to buy a place in heaven. Instead, the truth of the matter is what? Jesus Christ alone has already purchased us, has redeemed us, has forgiven us. And we are to beg for his mercy to be exercised in our lives. It's because Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later. We're able to proclaim that. That's why we what? We hit the pause button. We rest just for a moment and we bathe and bask in praise to God. We thank Him. The Word is extol Him. We lift Him up. And in doing so, we can be encouraged in the middle of a long week to move forward for Him and for His glory. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Wendy actually uh, encouraged me this week. She she reminded me of this verse, Hebrews chapter 13. I want to direct your attention just for a moment to verse 15. 
Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to what God's word has for you and I today. Through him, Hebrews 13, verse 15, through him. That means not us. It's through him, through the Lord's. Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The book of Hebrews is addressed to Hebrew believers, Christ, uh, Jewish believers. Years ago, they would have to burn sacrifices and the aroma would be, would be lifted up as an offering to the Lord's. And the author of Hebrews says, our sacrifice is that we are to offer up praise to God. That is the fruit of lips. You know what that is? I know we celebrated Valentine's. That's not a kiss, okay? The fruit of our lips are actually words. Words that acknowledge His name. This is what the Lord has done in my life. We talk about the gospel transforming lives. What I've done today is I've invited four people share very briefly with you how the gospel has literally changed, transformed their lives. Joy. How has the gospel transformed my life? I think the gospel has transformed my life in three major ways. The first of which being the transforming gospel has tra transformed my life by changing my perspective. Each day I start out my day with devotions, and that forces me to have the right perspective on my day. What am I living for? What's my purpose? Through my devotions, God reminds me that he entrusted me with this day. Now I need to use it for his glory. Also, my perspective has been changed on people. I can be extremely judgmental, but when I start to judge, because the Holy Spirit is in my life, he can knock on my heart and say, um, excuse me? I love them, and you need me just as much as they need me. Also, as I've gotten older, God has really given me a love for all people, especially those who aren't normally loved. And this is obviously not for me, because I just said I can be extremely judgmental. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Secondly, the transforming gospel has changed my life by changing my goals. Life's not about making me happy. If it if the Holy Spirit wasn't in my life, I would have hurt a lot of people because life would have been about me. Secondly, after salvation comes obedience. At the beginning of the year, Pastor Tim said a quote that really stuck with me, and it goes something like this. You need to go through every door, and God will close it if you're not meant to go through it. Don't wait for the sign that says welcome. What does this mean? It means if I see an opportunity to serve, I go and serve. If I see an opportunity to encourage, I need to go and encourage. And thirdly and finally, because of the gospel, I don't have some crazy awesome testimony. But at the same time, I do. My short 15 years of life, God has kept me from the evils of the world and allowed me to grow in knowledge and truth. I've gone to a Christian school, and because of that, I've been able to soak up God's word and then be able to use it for his glory. Lately, I've been learning about God's amazing grace and his unexplainable sovereignty. When my dad ran over that, he asked me if there was some story that I could share that showed how they'd been working in my life. And at first, I really couldn't think of an amazing story. But as I thought about my life more, I realized that some pretty scary things have happened. But because God has allowed me to have such a firm grasp 
I've never doubted his plan because I know God is sovereign. In conclusion, the only reason I am who I am is by God's grace. I don't deserve my life, and I cannot or will not ever do anything to deserve that grace. Thank you, Joy. Good morning. My name is Charlotte, and I am a grateful believer who struggles with depression, anger, bitterness, and resentment stemming from abuse that happened when I was a little girl. The Lord brought me to himself when I was a young teen during a youth retreat. After returning from that retreat, I tried. Oh, how I tried to follow the rules. I tried to be good, but I couldn't do it. Romans seven eighteen says that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. And several times over the next three decades, I came face to face with suicide. The pain was too great. I was done. But God was not. Each time, he reached down and lifted me up with his righteous right hand. And I continued to try. I believed that it was my choice. I believed I was the one who could change my life if I just tried hard enough. Sixteen years ago, the Lord brought me and my family to this church. God is amazing. He brought my husband to himself. I learned more about the Bible and the Lord gave me some victories, but I continued to try to live the victorious Christian life in my own power. Last May, this church began the ministry of Celebrate Recovery, and as I went to the meetings and I began to purposefully study God's word, he began to reveal to me who was in control, and it wasn't me. I no longer had to be good in my own power. I no longer had to continually beat myself up because of my failures. God wants to be the God of every part of my life if I choose to seek his will will daily. I will have the victorious life that he wants me to have. I often hear brothers and sisters give advice about making good choices to live that victorious Christian life, but God has shown me that the only choice I have is to choose him. The rest of the battle is his. In the last several months, I've allowed the Lord complete control of my life, and I am not perfect, but now... Even in my failures, I can still have peace. I was once a believer who attempted to do everything in my own strength. And now through Christ, I am a believer who allows God complete control of every area of my life. Thank you. Thank you, Brianna. Hello, I'm Brianna. (laughs) I once was society's dream in a corpse, but now through Christ, I am a living, breathing, cultural flaw and a social anomaly. I grew up in a loud home. Parents split up when I was seven. No one really thought I was going to make it, but God had bigger plans. In high school, um, it was my glory I was chasing, like I had something to prove to all of those who doubted me. So I was smart, I was funny, I was cool, I had friends, and I was in every club, functionally and socially adapted teenager. Check. Fast forward to college, and I'm a star. Fast track to a master's, the social butterfly has now found more friends and a bigger limelight, along with parties, boyfriends, and straight A's. I was in and out of the church scene here and there, but they wanted me to change my life, the social dream of a young adult, for this Jesus. But I mean, come on, I didn't really need Jesus. Was I ever 
dead wrong. <laughs> There's no explanation for what happened aside from God's Holy Spirit grasping hold of my culturally and socially acceptable diamond-embellished granite heart, ripping it out and giving me a penetrable, malleable heart of flesh, beating and alive. I remember conviction and a strange desire for church and the Bible all of a sudden. I started to see sin as sin, the cursing, drinking, materialistic idolatry and self-worship that had once enslaved me was so disgusting. Don't get me wrong, the temptation persisted, but not without conviction. I wanted God so much more than society's definition of a thriving young adult. There's no logical reason that I traded fun, friends, prestige, and careless selfish living for meekness, humility, self-sacrifice, and then giving all that glory to God. There's no reason that society can see for that. So I'm a social anomaly. 22 years old, I don't party. I spend my Saturdays downstairs watching Christian conferences with the other students. Um, I don't see most of the movies that are coming out, and I'm settling down to be a pastor's wife. Never saw that one coming. People look at me like I'm crazy. I've traded the socially acceptable stigma for a normal 22-year-old for a much higher and demanding life that God has laid before me. And so when people say, what happened to her? The only thing I can point them to is faith in Jesus Christ and his power to transform lives. I'm so glad that from now on I get to say, I once was society's dream in a corpse, but now through Christ, I'm a living, breathing, cultural flaw and a social anomaly, all for the glory of God. Hello. Uh, I guess I'm Christian. I'm the one he was <laughs> mad at for no reason. I thought it was hilarious when he told me that. All right, so uh, I'm just going to give you, just go at it, get in it. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I was saved around five. Uh, I was baptized at eight. Uh, through the through the years, God has always been faithful, even when I when I was not. Um, I started drinking around 14 or 15 years old. Uh, like the last person, I was popular, an athlete, uh, always had a girlfriend, and troubles with grades. I started running cross country from my high school, and I started using alcohol and drugs as my as my reward for hard work. This is when the trouble started for me. I wouldn't even know it, though, uh, until years later. At the end of high school, I was the only athlete in any sport in my school's history to compete um, all four years at, uh, at States. And we were a AAA school, so it wasn't an easy task. Um, I went to college on a full scholarship for running, uh, and I did unimaginably fantastic at running and partying. I was drinking until 5 a.m. and then waking up on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. and going for a long run with my cross-country team. Uh, this did not even stop me. 
By 22, I was an empty shell. Uh, alcohol and drugs had taken over my life, and I had nowhere to turn. All I knew was that I needed to get away, and I had to do it fast, or I was going to die. So what do men do in these positions? That's right, they go talk to a recruiter. So, <laughs> I joined the Navy to uh, be a field medical corpsman with the Marines. And I joined in 2003, and I was in Fallujah, Iraq uh, in less than a year with uh, 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines. Uh, no one can prepare you for war, just like no one can prepare you for hell. Uh, it's something we as humans are not meant to experience. Uh, and you never will come through the same as when you left. I did two more pumps in 10 years total. It's something I wouldn't trade for the world, uh, but under absolutely no circumstances do again. I met my wife after my second deployment uh, when I was home from leave. We fell pretty hard for each other, and we were engaged three months later and married nine months after that. And through all of this, uh, I was being treated and I was also self-treating myself um, for PTSD uh, because of nightmares and such. Um, and also through this, we were trying to hold together a, a marriage, a new, a new marriage. This is when we both hit our rock bottoms. Uh, we, were very, we were in a very dark and scary territory. Satan was using everything he could throw our way, uh, and it was working. Our minds and life had become so warped that even now uh, it's hard to look back to. Until our Savior spoke and shattered our lives as we know them. Praise God, one night he ripped our world apart and threw us down to our knees in repentance. He turned our lives around and all we had to do was to accept the gift that I never really understood. It's the one thing I'll never earn, uh, the one thing I will never attain through works, the one thing I will never deserve. But it's the only thing that saved my life, and that's God's unexplainable grace. The gift that is given freely that we do not deserve. For the longest time, alcohol controlled my life. It was the only thing I, I associated fun with. I was a dis it was a disgusting parasite uh, that was used as a tool of Satan. It was a, it was a uh, sickness that numbed me, and it divided my heart in two. One side of my heart was following Christ and served Him, while the other served another. Alcohol was a heavy yoke I had taken up. It created a void. It pretended to give me rest. It told me I would find peace in it. It was attractive to me. And it was evil. But I can say today that praise God that He controls my life now. Praise be to God that He is my joy now. Praise be to God that He has shattered my chains of slavery. Praise God that His yoke is light. Praise God He is grace. He has filled my void and He gives rest to the weary. He is the Prince of Peace and He is good. I once was at war, but now through Christ I am at peace.
Thank you, my brother, for that, and, and Brianna and Charlotte and Joy as well. I don't know about you, but I could listen, I could listen all day to stories of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. I don't know if you realize it or not, but that same gospel that has transformed these lives can transform your life. You have a story. I'm on your little insert. I actually wrote out that phrase. And I would encourage you at some time in the quietness of your own heart to fill that out, to think about it. I once was blank. You fill it in. It's your story. But now through Christ, and I, I trust that you have offered your life. If not today, you can do that. You can offer your life to Christ. And you can fill in the rest. But now through Christ, I am Think of that. I once was at war, literally, in every way. But now through Christ, in Christian's testimony, you can say he's at peace. It's really, as we began even our service, it has so little to do about us. It's everything. In my office, I literally keep it at eye level. It's just off to my left so that I see it. The words of Ephesians in chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's really why we gather this morning. It's why we have to just take a break and we hit the pause button and we focus all of our attention on the Lord. I am so grateful that as the Lord just challenged my heart to just take a break and examine and reflect on what the Lord has done, that it was the time for us as a church to celebrate the communion table. Um, I know a lot of times we kind of tack it on. It seems rushed at the end. So I want to pause on this because without the communion table, without the Lord's Supper, we would have no hope. The message that is found here. Well, what is it, perhaps, some of you may ask? I actually went to our own website where we go just, just to try to get a glimpse of what other people are trying to learn and what they're trying to look at. If you go on our website, there's a little tab that says what we believe in, and you can go down and you can click on uh, our, our statement of faith, our doctrine. This is what we believe. And there's actually a portion it says this. I want to read to you so that you understand what we believe as a local church. Section 7, paragraph 57. I don't know what it is. But listen to this on the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience. Whereby members of the church, not necessarily members of Big Woods, members of the church of Jesus Christ, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you are part of that church. An act of obedience whereby the members of the church through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize. It means that we, we pause to honor, to remember, and the word is celebrate. We get to celebrate the death of the Redeemer and anticipate His second coming. That's what we do. That's what we're, I have, we, we have the privilege of doing that this morning. You know what it is? Well, why is it we do it? Jesus Christ himself speaks in Luke chapter 22 and explains what's happening. 
Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples the very night that he was betrayed, arrested the day before that he's crucified. He sits with them, and, and it actually says in, in verse 19 of Luke 22, and he took the bread, he, Jesus, took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it says, and likewise, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Paul actually teaches the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and twice he uses the same word, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. So why do we do this? To keep what the Redeemer has done at the very forefront of our minds. Keep him in our memory. Keep him right here, especially when it comes to his blood and his body that literally have been given up. He offered them up for you. Every testimony you heard, so undeserving. God offers this gift. Why do we do this? We do it first and foremost to remember Christ. Secondly, why else do we do it? We do it to proclaim Christ. The second term, when you remember something, when it's in your mind, you think about it, what do you do? You say it. You know what's in here is going to come out. And it actually says in the Bible that we are to speak of it. We're to to show other people. We're to tell other people. We proclaim it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So literally, literally it's to erupt from our, our mouth as a praise. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. This is important to us. The death of our Savior offering himself to die in a place that we deserve to die. We remember it. We proclaim it. What else? Why else? We do this to be strengthened by Christ. There's several different words that are used throughout the Bible for communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, Eucharist. Actually comes from this idea, dipnon, supper. It's the time that we get together, that we eat that we are fed, that we are strengthened, that we are nourished. Think about the dinner table tonight as a family. We get together and we eat. And you're strengthened by it. I can assure you that with this cup and this bread, you're not going to leave church and say, I am just stuffed. I couldn't eat a thing for lunch. It's not that type. It's not physical nourishment. What is it? It's spiritual nourishment. It actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I love this description. It's somewhat of unique for us. We don't read this verse a lot and it speaks specifically about communion. Listen to this. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? What is Paul saying here? He says that we actually have an opportunity this morning to participate in Word, interestingly enough, is koinia. It's that fellowship. It's communing together. We participate in the body and the blood of Christ. Literally, we are experiencing a sharing together of his body and his blood. And how the Lord delights in knowing that we come to him longing to be nourished, to be strengthened in our souls. We have the privilege of celebrating what transforms lives. We have a privilege this morning of celebrating why there's testimonies like that. 
And so we invite you as a body to participate. Let, let me remind you what it is literally, okay? After Jesus uh, had finished their meal, their, their physical nourishment, he knew that they were lacking a spiritual nourishment and he took some bread and he held it up to, to those disciples and he broke it right in front of them and he said, as, as I break this bread, it's a picture, it's a symbol, it's a type of my body that is going to be broken for you. He's speaking about what? When he is going to be wrecked physically and root to the cross. And what else did he do? It says that he took the fruit of the vine. He, he poured out, what is this? It's just grape juice. He probably used wine. And he poured it out and he said, this, this is a picture, this is a type, the symbol of my blood. It's been poured out for you. We know how important what? Because blood is life. It says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Without the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood for us, there would be no hope. We can close up shop. We can lock the doors and go home and never come back again if Christ did not die and pour his blood to offer us eternal life. And the joy is what? That he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave three days later and we worship a living Savior. And he's coming back. And until he comes back, we are to be busy in doing what he has called us to do. And so I'm going to invite you, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Christ into your heart to be Lord and Savior of your life, this is for you. If, if you're not a member of Big Woods Bible Church, that's okay. If you've made that commitment, then you are a member of the family of God. This is for you. If you're here this morning and this is somewhat foreign to you, you're not exactly sure. I don't know if I've done that. I don't want to be rude in any way, but I would ask you to refrain because it would, it would be meaningless. It would be pointless. However, what the gospel is seen in this. And so at this very moment, at this very moment, in the quietness of your own heart, you can give your life the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say, Lord, I'm yours. And if we're honest, the way we run our own lives oftentimes is just trouble upon trouble upon trouble. And so we can give our life to the Lord. I invite the elders to come up. They're going to assist as they serve you. I ask that you stay in your seats. They're going to bring you some, some bread. They're going to uh, then come up here. We're going to ask God's blessing upon the bread and the cup. And we'll take of that together and then they'll go and they'll serve you the cup and we can have opportunity to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. Thank you, my brothers. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I am just so grateful that we have opportunity like this to celebrate what you have done for us. And Lord, bowed in your presence, we just want to say from the very deepest, the depths of our heart, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your body that was offered up to suffer on our behalf. Thank you for your blood that was poured out that, Lord, washes us. And we have this visual reminder in front of us, Lord, it washes our darkened hearts to be white as snow. Thank you for the blessing that we've had this week over and over again of what you do in our lives and what you do in our hearts. Lord, I would ask that you bless this bread. Bless this cup to our bodies and Lord, make our bodies strong and healthy 
so we can proclaim you and serve you faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We remember Christ, we proclaim Christ, and we are strengthened by Christ. You know, there's a heaviness when you talk about the crucifixion. There's a solemnness that you talk about death. But what a joy it is to know that Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose again, and we can celebrate that. Matt's going to come and lead us with his worship team in a celebration of the gospel.